Sarah Salter Kelly. I am the author of Trauma as Medicine. I'm excited to share with you my story of metabolizing and transforming my mother's homicide, as well as um, utilizing tools that can help you to be with trauma in your own life in a way that's healthy and generates purpose and meaning. You are listening to the On Call Empath. Have a great day. You're listening to the On Call Empath Show. Okay, guys, we are back for another episode of the On Call Empath. And today, I am super excited for my next guest, Sarah Salter Kelly. She's a shamanic healer. Loads of information today. You don't want to miss this episode. We'll be talking about trauma as medicine. Uh, We're going to go talk about energy and the spiritual side of things. So Sarah, how are you doing? It's an honor to have you on my podcast. Uh, Good morning, Raj. I am wonderful. (laughs) I'm excited to be here on your podcast today and to share with your audience. The sun is up. It's a good day. Absolutely. I like your background, by the way. Those guys um, that can't see it, it's a pretty cool background. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's just dive right in. How did you even get into this type of work? Because, I mean, I've had a lot of people on this podcast, but I think some of the stuff with shamanism and all of that, that's like a specialty that I've always had a curiosity for. How did you end up getting into that field? Uh, Great question. Um, One of the things that I notice about shamanism and energy healing in general is that most often one's path is instigated by facing life challenges that we're struggling with and we're looking for alternative answers. So I would say initially I got on this path with some challenges I faced as a teenager that helped me to develop um, an affinity with earth-based traditions. So I needed to find a way that to pray, if you will, that resonated with who I was and that invited in my own um, sovereignty and my own relationship with spirit. And so um, that was what initially instigated it, Raj. And then mm-hmm. when I was 20 years old, my mother was brutally murdered in the parking garage of her workplace. Oh my gosh. And um, I spent the next 10 years learning how to metabolize and be with this very visceral experience of trauma, inclusive of um, how to digest and metabolize violence, as well as how to come to terms in a way that is healthy and instigates freedom with her perpetrator who had been found guilty of murder one and mm. had suicided in prison. And so the, that's the, the kind of Coles notes version, if you will, of what um, really set me on a shamanic mm. path. It's how do we be with the most difficult life experiences, the shadows, if you will, and learn how to bring them into the light with love, possibility, and um, the capacity to transform. Yeah, that's, that's amazing story. Um, So when that happened, obviously, uh, that must have been hard for you. How long did it take you to actually start to uh, just kind of start the healing process? Like, because that's some trauma, like, that would probably last a lot of people a lifetime. Yeah, and, and I think for all of us, any of our experiences that have marked our souls are the ones that we carry with us and are the ones that perhaps we even came here specifically to learn about. Mm-hmm. So 
I would say that I'm still learning to walk with it, you know, mm-hmm. 25, 26 years later. Yeah. And I, I was blessed in that my mother was a life coach. And so I was, and this is in the 80s, um, and she was murdered in 1995, but I grew up in a household where, you know, Shakti Gawain, Louise Hay, some of the um, self-help gurus of the, the 80s were common table talk. So I already yeah. believed in my capacity to heal myself. Right? Sure. I was taught that from a young age that we're capable of, of anything if we put our minds to it. So after she was murdered, obviously in the initial acute phase of trauma, we're unpacking all of our um, beliefs that have now changed. We're having to unpack um, our ideas that reality is supposed to go a certain way. And that takes a couple of years to deal with the, the shock of that and the, the awareness that our roles and who we are now has completely changed and the the need to understand what it means. And then as we start to get a little bit of distance from the incident itself, we're able to start to bring our own inquiry or our connection to spirit forward in a new way to be curious of how to move the energy that is connected to that trauma. And so, I mean, I spent so much time outside in the in the creeks or the ravines, the river valleys of the, I lived in Edmonton, Alberta at the time, Um, you know, walking in the water, singing outside, crying in the forest. And so it's also the land very much itself that helps us to heal. And so, um, and I didn't care what anybody thought, you know, I'm sure there was tons of cyclists, (laughs) other hikers, they're like, oh, there's that crazy hippie kid (laughs) in the the bush. And and it just didn't matter because I think Mm -hmm. we have a choice um, uh, in life of whether or not we choose a path of freedom or one where we're bound by the obstacles that show up and for me freedom was the priority so at any cost I was willing to move into the darkest parts of this trauma yeah wow that's amazing so my next question is what is trauma as medicine and why do you feel like it's relevant to, to, to today with everything going on right now in the world Uh, Okay. Uh, Yeah. Trauma as medicine is the name of my book, as uh, you're aware. Yeah. Show a picture of that to everybody. Um, So, and and I might read something from it. We'll see if we have a chance. Sure, sure. Um, So trauma as medicine is the philosophy that everything that has come to pass in our lives has shown up for a reason. And somehow we have what we need within ourselves and in our relationship to, um, to source, to the mother earth, to, um, to metabolize what has come to pass and to assimilate the nutrients from it in a way that actually provides healing. And so it's this philosophy that we don't have to get rid of the things that we don't like. Mm-hmm. And, and so I can apply that to my own story uh, in saying there was so much meaning and purpose that came from my mother's homicide, inclusive of learning how to forgive her perpetrator. Mm-hmm. However, I can also apply it to what's happening right now, where there's so much divisiveness in our world. Yeah. And people are stuck on the, the <laughs> in the chaos of that divisiveness. Whereas if we instead look at our need to be on the side of the good or the bad, the right or the wrong, the self-righteousness that is involved in that and how that can keep us from um, finding some sense of cohesiveness with our fellow um, humans and some sense of unity. So trauma as medicine in this time period would be, let's step back a little bit and start to recognize some of the shadows that COVID has brought to the surface. 
Totally. And instead of made our own um, idea of what they mean to be the right one, to start to contemplate all of the different ones that they've brought forward and to be curious about how that can apply to furthering the evolution of humankind. Yeah. Like what brings us together rather than, wow, this is all the shit that blows us apart. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot going on today, especially after COVID. There's a lot of people in, you know, coming out of trauma or in trauma just from the last couple of years. And yeah, it's tough. It's tough for many people. So you, you mentioned something about the underground. Um, what does that have to do with healing with trauma? Would you say? What I'm speaking to is uh, the underworld and the underworld from a shamanic context or even a psychological context gives us a framework that invites in the mystical, invites in the mythical for us to address what is something that is often so intangible. And so Mm -hmm. often with my clients, and I use this in reference in my book as well, is um, the invitation to imagine this landscape deep down in the earth that holds the um, everything that you haven't healed, resolved, or reconciled. So if we're to utilize our imagination to pretend that this place exists and start to wonder um, what still needs to be addressed or felt or what fears need mm-hmm. to be faced in relation to your trauma, it helps to give us a place where we're not having to cut anything off and make mm-hmm. it fit into a box. Because so often for somebody who has gone through trauma, when you're looking for tools or resources to address it, there's a sense that you have to fit it into the system of whatever the practitioner or the psychologist or the is telling you right and that can feel almost invasive I know it did for me whereas if we're to allow ourselves to imagine that there's actually this this place down in the underworld and it's holding everything that you haven't reconciled and you get to choose how you form a relationship with Mm -hmm. it it's inevitable that you have to or it's going to haunt you (laughs) you got to form a relationship right And you get to choose um, at what level, you get to choose what safety you need to do so, and you get Mm. to choose how that will unfold. And so in this way, we're not feeling like we have to cut off parts of ourselves in order to heal. We don't have to get rid of the ugly. We have to learn about it. We don't have to be shamed. We simply need to take our time to digest and understand what that shame is pointing us towards. Yeah. I know there's a lot of people probably wondering, um, including myself, like when we think of shamanism, I mean, some people might have like, you know, what they see on TV or, you know, can you explain a little bit of what that entails? And is there a particular life experience that got you on this path of shamanism or? I think I think that if we are to follow our ancestry back in time for all of us humans, but particularly those who have been uprooted through Western culture, once upon a time, long, long ago, all of us lived in close proximity to the land around us. And as soon as we developed societies where we no longer were touching the soil, smelling the land or feeling the wind on our skin, 
then we started to place our power of connection more into what we were building in the society and yeah. through time, um, more of a, a different framework of God or a different framework of spirit. So we lost a lot of the connection and the intelligence that is inherent in the cosmic life force of the mother earth and, um, and all of our relations. And so when we, when we reach our ancestry way back in time and connect with those who once upon a time lived in healthy relationship and learned how to communicate with what existed in the realm of spirit, that is, um, that is the precipice around a shamanic path, is the, the awareness that once upon a time we had this in our ancestry, and it's actually 100% possible for us to build that relationship now if we allow ourselves to take the time, because it takes a lot of time, yeah. and do the work. And so it's a, a path of learning to mm -hmm. integrate your, um, your heavy energies of what has come to pass with um, the possibility for enlightenment, with the possibility for the most ultimate connection with source yeah. uh, in, in balance with the land that you're on. So you're not more than the land isn't property of yours. It's not here just for your resource extraction. <laughs> you know, it's learning how to grow your own food and understand why yeah. that's important. It's learning how to harvest what you have sown mm -hmm. and actually eat it in your kitchen, you know, and, and learning how to yeah. walk on the land and talk and communicate with the eagles yeah. and the deer and what yeah. is around you. And so for myself, it was my mother's homicide that mm. in many ways directly initiated that. But as I referenced earlier, I had experiences at a young age that led up to that. And some of which was I left home at 15 years of age and lived in many precarious situations in the first two years of my life that really taught me that I had to trust in the resources inside of my own body and that the more directly I communicated with that, and the more directly I used those senses, I would be in a literal safe place. Mm -hmm. And so it was very much a survival thing that then opened to a spiritual one. Yes. And I think as we go more into the future, like, I feel like we're getting away from that, that organic you know, just being in nature and being one with someone like course, right now we're talking through, you know, just the internet and I can see you, but I can't be with you. And, and I think humans are not supposed to be uh, in a place where they can't, you know, it's all artificial, you know, and that's, I think, which, as things come up, technology and things, it's going to be more virtual and we're going to get more geared off that path and, when's the last time you put your phone away and just went for a walk barefoot? I mean, it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I try and go hike in the mountains for two or three hours every day. And so, um, and that was part of, you know, my husband and I moved from Alberta to BC, mm -hmm. um, uh, but before the pandemic with the intention yeah. of downsizing and having more time to play outside, you know, less kids at home, more yeah. freedom, um, so I think that we can make lifestyle choices around that, but in reflection of what you're saying with the virtual communities, uh, it also can be, we can be blessed by the fact that we can do this right? and we need to make sure that we're fostering in-person connection. Absolutely. And so particularly because I've been teaching healing, energy healing workshops for 15 years, 
And so a lot of that's been on hold. Yeah. What I've really recognized though, as I'm looking at creating my schedule for this year is that um, though I value the online connection, um, my work is to be teaching people in person outside on the land, period. And so finding a way to create that, even if it's smaller groups, that's fine. Mm-hmm. That is how we're going to make a difference, I think, in healing our planet, right? We can, we can think about it when we're virtual. We can give lip service to it. But if we're not having our feet in the dirt and, again, feeling the wind on our skin and smelling what's blowing and feeling the sun <laughs> with the rain, um, we're losing a really primal intelligence that is awakened inside of us. I agree 100%. It's the world that we're going towards, but <laughs> um, now you talk about metabolizing trauma. How how would you like describe this on, you know, uh, with our day in life with energy and and what why does that even matter? What I would say um, regarding metabolizing trauma. So something that's interesting in my story is that after uh, about ten years after my mom's homicide, I had. I came to realize that I had never made peace with her perpetrator. And I think that that hadn't really mattered to me initially. Initially, I really needed to address any of the um, very intense grief around her loss. And at the 10 year mark, I started to feel him around me all the time. And I guess this would be another um, part of my initiation into shamanism is that it's very easy for me to see the world of spirit and communicate with the world of spirit. And initially I thought, why are you around me? You know, like, like go away. I'm not, um, stop haunting me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, however, I realized that I was using all of this energy to force him away. And that if I was to apply my actual philosophy on life, which is the the truth that we can't get rid of, Mm -hmm anything we don't like. There's no garbage. We have Mm -hmm. to figure out how to recycle or compost everything um, to be sustainable. So if I was to apply that philosophy to how I was contending with my mother's perpetrator, I had to do something different. And so I made a decision that instead of pushing him away, I would call him in Mm -hmm. and that I would in fact create my own ceremony Mm -hmm. for as long as I needed to, to address my unresolved feelings towards him. So this is something that I did over the course of nine months, once a week, it wasn't, I didn't plan that it was going to take that long. That's just how long it took. And, you know, for sometimes people will think that they don't have time for something like this. Um, And, you know, I had twin girls that were in kindergarten and a six month old son that was napping. So we always have time Mm -hmm. for what we need to do. And so I share this because this is where I learned First off, that if you call in a spirit, they really do come. And the necessity for us, each of us as individuals, to speak out loud, acknowledge our victim self, and express any unresolved feelings, no matter who the person is that Mm -hmm. we're speaking to. And so I had to face my mother's perpetrator. Mm -hmm. And because he had suicided in prison after being found guilty of murder one, this was the only way in which I could address him so something unexpected happened and after doing that for a couple of months I had uh, and again once a week over the course of that time I had this really unexpected experience of compassion 
And so mm -hmm. I had a vision that instigated a sense of compassion towards him. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I began to be curious about who was this person other than a perpetrator. Right. I knew from the media that he had grown up on a um, from a Cree nation in Alberta and had spent his whole life in, um, uh, in institutions. So I don't know if in the States, if you're familiar with um, 60 Scoop, it's mm -hmm. just another way in which colonial harm was perpetrated towards Indigenous people in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he would have put into foster care at a young age and in juvenile delinquent centers. And so all that I knew about him was that he was a bad guy. And I started to recognize that if I let go of my need for him to be a bad guy, I made space to contemplate mm -hmm. who he was from another point of view. So yeah. all of a sudden I could be curious about, well, he was a brother, he was a son, he was mm -hmm. a father, he was, you know, who else was he mm -hmm. and what had come to pass that had led him to being the person that raped and mm -hmm. murdered my mother in the parking garage of her work, tossed her body in an abandoned farmhouse where she wasn't, nobody knew where she was for 10 days. So you don't just wake up one day and think, hey, this is what I'm going to do today. There has to be experiences that came to pass in order to instigate somebody being capable of that level of violence. And so the next part of my path became, well, what were those things? And who was this man? And how do I find out? And so following visions that came to me in ceremonies or in meditation, I eventually was led to the, um, in Canada, they're called um, uh, reserves or First Nations reserves. So I was led to the um, place of his birth um, connected with the chief and council of that particular nation and in as much was appointed to work with a former chief who began to help me in understanding who he was and what was the more full story of the history of colonization in Canada that's not being told from a white privileged perspective what was the you know the the words coming out of the mouth of somebody who was first nations and how could that awareness then um, give me a greater sense of understanding for why this guy ended up in the parkade that day? And also Raj, a deeper awareness of how we are not separate from each other. So we, we, mm -hmm. we really want to generate healing that fosters a sense of shared mm -hmm. humanity, then we need to be willing to step back from vilification mm -hmm. of the other. And this is obviously so present right now um, in these time periods uh, with divisiveness and we need to be able to see who the other human mm -hmm. is. And uh, yeah. so that, yeah. So that that's amazing that you were able to put your kind of your emotions aside, like the hate and you, you mean just forgiveness and putting this person in a, in a human sense, like who was this person? You kind of did your own research and maybe that was self-healing you know, um, and you at least put, could put it to rest. Um, and that's, I think a lot of people that go through trauma, especially, uh, people that I've, uh, talked to and even coached, they don't let go. Um, it's always like this person needs to suffer. I'm never going to forgive them. I'll forgive them when I'm ready. Or they'll, tr they'll say that I forgave them for me, but you can tell like deep inside, like they're, they haven't gone got over it a hundred percent 
you know yeah. um so yeah i mean what you did was is very challenging but uh, i never thought of it that way where you can actually put this person as a, in a human form like okay who was he other than the per perpetrator and that's definitely hard to do for for trauma victims that especially that tune into this program so well and i think that's the piece of metabolization right i mean especially in the energy healing world we have this you know i'm also a reiki master teacher and i used to teach reiki and you think often there's this idea that we're supposed to cut all these energy cords oh i don't want negative yeah. people in my life oh i don't want well actually the world is filled with forces that are positive and negative that's just mm -hmm. part of life yeah and so if we're just going to cut off anything that doesn't feel good um we're not having a human experience yes the idea is if we follow more of, you know, the well-known shame researcher, Brene Brown, and if we consider that we actually have to lean in to what is challenging us, and if we're going to yeah. lean in and we're going to face it, it means that we're, we're needing to uh, trust that there's a process inside of us that will create the metabolization. Mm -hmm. If we're metabolizing, we're assimilating the nutrients, but what else are we doing? We're letting go of the waste, yeah. right? If we hold on to that waste, it poisons us. Yeah. Think of all yeah. of the people, you know, I know as a healer that have um, so much grief and trauma stuck in their bellies. Yeah. You know, so it's like the, the energy <laughs> stomach is just compounded with undigested life experiences. Yeah. Um, and when we let them go, they actually become compost. Yeah. That actually feeds who we're becoming. Whereas if we think we can cut all these energy cords off, we're, we're creating, um, uh, you know, a reality that is just made up in our own mind's eye right. that doesn't foster connection with what's around us. Absolutely. So, yeah, very interesting. So just kind of wrapping up here, I want to just give you a scenario. And I mean, I think you would be well qualified to answer this question better than anyone else. But do you feel like just overall for anyone that's gone through like a horrific event or trauma um that there is something that has something to do with your purpose here in life maybe it was something that you had to go through pay a karmic debt um to kind of get to a different level in your next life i mean i'm not sure that i i mean i'm sure there's a lot of people that may not believe in past lives and karma and all this what is your take on that and why we go through some horrific events in this lifetime is there some meaning or purpose to it um what is the reason for it in your opinion absolutely uh i unpack that in depth in my book trauma as medicine um inclusive of journal questions and exercises to help somebody to dig deep into their own process um the whole the desire for all of us as humans is we want there to be meaning and purpose. We're hungry for that. We want to have value in what's coming to pass each day because what does value gives, give us? It gives us a sense of connection and belonging. And if we feel like we, we belong here, then we have that sense of purpose. Uh, I know that I came here to learn the exact lessons that have come forth from my mom's homicide. I don't necessarily think I sat up there in the sky with God before coming and was like, hey, <laughs> I would a contract. like to be murdered when I was 20. Like, I, I, I know that some people believe in contracts. In yeah. that way. I'm not sure. I think that that's us applying our human 
need to understand onto something that is bigger than us. I mm -hmm. think it's so much bigger than us. However, I 100% know in my full energy body that I came here to evolve mm -hmm. and I came here to learn the deepest of life's lessons. I could not have learned compassion otherwise. Yes. This is how it has come about. I could not have this deep sense of knowing of, of purpose if I had not gone through something that felt so purposeless. Yeah. And so it, it, are, it is these painful experiences that help us to reckon with who we are, help us to see our own shadow and our own ego, our own need for violence. You can bet there was a big part of me that wanted to jump into my wolf body and eat this guy yeah. at your heart, right? And that's part of the process. We have to be truthful about our rage, but then we also have to decide what's serving us. How long do we want to hold on to our rage for? What story do we want to tell when we're at our deathbed and we're looking yeah. back on how we lived our lives? Do we want it to be a story where we learned how to open our hearts in a big way and, and create compassion and love and unity with what has come to pass? Or do we want to sit back and go, wow, I sure made my life really small because mm. I was so hurt, but I spent the next 40 years not letting anybody in or holding yeah. on to the grief or the pain or the trauma because it was too much. And yeah. so that willingness, we make that decision inside of us. There is purpose in this. You get to decide, nobody else. And then you put that into your prayers and whatever your connection is with the mystery mm. um, and ask to be guided and it'll show up. I love that. I mean, everything you just said just resonated with me. And I know there's a lot of people that are tuning in and they're thinking like, but you don't understand, like, but do you want to live your life that whole way, holding a grudge? Or, like you said, at your deathbed, like, are you going to pretty much waste your life holding on to this? Or are you going to try to evolve and move forward and keep moving forward? So I really commend it and what you did um, and what you're doing, especially with your book. Speaking of your book, if you can kind of mention where we can find it and anything that you'd like to leave for the listeners, um, where we can find you on social media, and then also answer kind of like, you know, and you mentioned in your book, your mother's perpetrator and how it became your spirit guide. Can you tell us how it kind of coincides with your book? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the unexpected experiences in forgiving my mother's perpetrator is that, you know, this, I, I very um, intentionally, if you will, forgave him about a year and a half after I first started this ceremony with him, when I was expressing all of my rage and my sadness. And so about a year and a half later, um, I was actually even doing a shamanic training and there was this exercise we were doing where we had to acknowledge the biggest teachers that came into our lives. And I was outside on this land in Northern Alberta, Canada, um, doing this exercise where we made a mandala out of um, things in nature that represented our teachers. And I didn't know what teachers I'd be naming initially. I, I hadn't made a list. I just trusted in my gut that whatever flowers or leaves or rocks I had gathered, I would know when I picked them up who it represented. And so initially there were not any surprises and I got to my very last object and the exercise included us saying their name out loud and blowing our connection to them into the object with three exhales. And I picked this object up and all of a sudden I knew that it represented my mother's perpetrator. 
And I knew I had to forgive him and say it out loud. Mm -hmm. So I, I did in that moment. It was, you know, completely evident. Um, placed it in the mandala. The next day, I felt him beside me again. And I hadn't felt him for, for over a year um, since I had for, completed that first ceremony I had done. And so initially, I was like, what are you doing here, man? <laughs> like, for God's sakes, I, I forgave you. I found compassion. I you know, like, what else do you want from me? And he actually started warning me about somebody who did not have good intentions towards me. You know, it was a, an assistant in the program that, you, you know, maybe was an ego. And so he started warning me and he was a hundred percent correct. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of the next few months, he would show up with, warnings or or insights here and there and he was always 100% accurate but truthfully it took me a few months to um be okay with it I'm like what like really my mother's perpetrator is acting as my spirit guide this is weird mm. like this is you know um but I couldn't deny the truth of it and I would say Raj so some of that would be what led me to go to the place of his ancestors where he had been born because I you know he started acting as my spirit guide maybe it was in uh, 07 let's say and it was 2010 when I went to um the reserve and so so that's just one of the stories that I include in my book that supports people in in contemplating more of the full picture and that when you open your heart you just never know what yeah. can happen and and it is possible to do it in a way that is um including love and purpose and and value and not spiritual bypass yeah you're not having to jump over the hard stuff you can actually move into them you know another part that i detail in trauma is medicine is how i began to do talks with his sister who's somebody who's recovered from addiction and trauma and so we do talks together to represent an example of living reconciliation so when we put our mind to it the mystery guides you. What yeah. I would say is that people can find trauma as medicine. If you're in Canada, it might be easier to order it from my website, which is mm -hmm. sarahsalterkelly.com. You can also find it on Amazon at Indigo Books. You can go and check in your bookstore. Um, we've been distributing by hand so far, my husband and I, to bookstores in Western Canada. However, I'm at present looking at uh, independent distributors. Uh, to So if you want it in your bookstore near you, tell the staff there for them to order it in and otherwise under my name online there is a trauma as medicine facebook page uh i'm on instagram under my name sarah salter kelly so those are some of the best avenues and i do do um online events i do a monthly full moon circle as well as um, I have an online mentorship program. So some people have explained to me that they need a little bit more support and digging yeah. deeper into some of these concepts. They're like the book is great and I need to sit with this more. And so the next online mentorship program starts in September. Excellent. And I'll have a lot of the details in the bio. So you guys check that out. Um, Sarah, it's been a pleasure having you on my podcast. I learned a lot myself keep doing the amazing work that you're doing and there's a lot of people that that could definitely uh get a lot of great information from you so thank you thank you very much Raj, for having me it's been a pleasure enjoy the rest of your day absolutely all right guys thank you so much for tuning into this episode 
Stay tuned for the next episode. Please subscribe and like this video if you're watching it on YouTube. It really helps me out. And we got a lot more guests coming on this season. And we are out.